Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to back to Deacon Hoover Radio. Uh, this is Adam, as always. With me, as always, is the great Alex Deacon, the Deacon of Real Estate. Alex, how are we doing today, sir? Alex is doing fantastic. You look very nice today, by the well, way. Well, thank you, sir. Yeah. I, I, I rock a t-shirt very well. I like that shirt. He's wearing a Joker for President. Joker for President. I, I think it's pretty I cool. always vote for the, for the right clown, yes. not for the clowns they give us. Um, <laughs> no, but listen, uh, we have a special, special guest today um, with us this week. Uh, typically, it's just you and I, Alex. But today, well, let, let me introduce him. You introduce him. You're the man. This is Josh, the man Caldwell. He doesn't have a. Uh, He's the man. Do you do you have any sort of like name that goes like I'm the deacon of real estate? I, what are, what are you? I don't even have business cards. I have nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he is Josh, the man Caldwell. He's simply. Thanks nasty. for coming out, Josh. I appreciate you guys having me. So, Alex, uh, what are we going to be talking about today? I know we're going to kind of expand on our team building uh, short that we had last mm-hmm. week. Uh, and that's why one of the main reasons we brought Josh in. And Josh, it's great to have you here. Thank you. Um, that way I won't sound as moronic as I normally do. And I'll let the experts kind of take control of this episode. Hey, uh, you'll, you'll pretty much have to just not talk. Yeah, yeah. But you know what, though? I'm married. So you're talking. I don't know so if you guys ever seen White Man Can't Jump. I'm talking right now. Yeah. I always say listen to the story. Story of my life, White Man Can't Jump. Just yeah, kind of just grunt or, or nod your head. Nod my head the rest okay. of the time. Alex, the floor is yours. <laughs> so Josh was nice enough to come in here. He he heads the uh, RIA, and that's, what the heck is RIA? Real Estate Investors of America? Real Estate Investors? Real Estate of, Investors Association. Okay, Association of America. So it's RIA OA. Rioe. But there, RIA is basically, you're in charge of Western PA? That, that's pretty much my zone, is the, the southwestern part of Pennsylvania. Yeah. It's a collaterally Pittsburgh area, and pretty much anything that we call Steeler Country. And how many groups do you have right now, and what what can you tell us about the groups so we can get this out there to more investors? Because it's a, it's a fantastic venue and a way to learn and to integrate yourself into the investment world and to uh, network. The main group is, is education-based. The, the entire RIA is education-based. But the main group's about 1,400 people. Then we, we sub-break it into what we call subgroups, and that can be commercial real estate, landlording, notes, anything you can dream of, house flipping, asset protection, anything that goes along with real estate, we tend to make it a subgroup and let it have its own life. And then people who are interested in that particular subset can go to that meeting. Okay. Yeah, and, and you're... Um your group meets every third Tuesday? Third Tuesday of the month, right in the North Hills in Ross Township. Gotcha. So maybe we can give them a website to go to if they want to join or get more information. They sure could. PittsburghRIA.com. All the cool kids are doing it. You are cool, aren't you? And we, do, we, we did some bus tours recently, and Josh was uh, the main speaker. He talked about creative financing. We talked for about 45 minutes. It was very informative, and then we went on a bus tour and saw some of the projects that we have going on. So what we'd like to talk about today is team building and, and how critical and crucial it is, not just to have a, a good team, uh, obviously in this business, but really any business. You know, Even in just, just a team together, everybody achieves more. It's so true. It's such a, a simple saying that everybody kind of knows about, but... It is so true. You're not an island. You can't do this on your own. So we're going to go in and each section we're going to talk about who are good team members to have on your real estate team. Okay, And, that, and it's, we're going to start with attorneys and probably end up with uh, a locksmith. And there's probably 30 or 50 in between. Okay, So good. 
And every one of those people on your team, you should let them know you're in the investment world. And why do you, why would you want to let somebody know? Why would you want to let that locksmith know that you're an investor? Why do you think? Just uh, Adam, and, and for I me, told you not to talk. Ah, uh, you're right. Just grunt and <laughs> nod your head. Okay, that's good. Josh, why do you think it's 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 good to have to tell your locksmith? <laughs> Your locksmith that you're a real estate investor. In my case, my locksmith owns about 50 units, so he kind of gets it. Um, but you want everybody to know that you're a real estate investor. Now, your locksmith, let's get into him specifically. Your locksmith is changing locks a lot of times when tenants get thrown out of the property. Now, give me a landlord who just had to throw his tenant out of his property. There's a fellow who might want to sell me a house at a discount or accept a creative finance offer. So... That locksmith can be a very valuable lead to me if my locksmith wasn't already taking those for himself. That is so true. That is so true. I just, I'm like just mentioning locksmith now. I'm thinking, well, why aren't I calling my locksmith right now and literally talking to everybody maybe on his staff? Too? Why does it have to be your locksmith? How many <laughs> locksmiths lo are in Pittsburgh? The locksmith. It's tr so true, right? So you are literally a walking marketing billboard. That's why we asked Josh to come in because he's really good at marketing himself. But if you, you can market yourself till you're blue in the face, if you don't have all the other systems in place, and if you don't have the other team members in place, you're not going to even get your first deal off the ground. Won't matter. So, okay, so we'll go into why is it important to have a good attorney. And I'll, I'll give you a couple quick examples, and then I'm sure Josh will, will chime in. Do you have anything to say, Adam? Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. You can grunt a little bit. Okay. We'll let you talk in about 10 minutes. So just let us get warmed up here. Okay, so a good attorney, I'll give you a really good example. I, I'm a real estate agent. We do a lot of closings. Every once in a while, a client will want to have their Uncle Bob, who's an attorney who does estate planning, do a closing. Because Uncle Bob can save them $180. They could prepare the deed for free. Because attorneys don't make a whole lot on closings. Where they make their money is on the title insurance. The title insurance is mandated. It, it, it's a set price. I don't think Uncle Bob can give you a break on title insurance. Otherwise, he he could probably maybe pay you under the table, but I don't really know if that's legal or legitimate. But to have Uncle Bob do the closing, there's so much more to a real estate closing. Even though it's it's very simple, it's also very not simple. Like, for instance, getting lien letters on time. If you don't order certain things on time and have the die test done on time and the occupancy permit ordered on time, then you might miss your mortgage commitment date or your closing date. And if you miss your closing date, then your hand money can be at risk. So why are you going to have an attorney handle your closings for you and set up your LLC and make sure that everything's done properly if they're not a seasoned real estate attorney? So I've had many horror stories. We could go into those, but we're not, we're not going to focus on that. But Josh, what do you have to say about hiring a, a good attorney who specializes in real estate, who comes well-recommended versus a family friend who can save you a few dollars? Well, the first thing is... The family friend won't save you a few dollars. The perception is just wrong. The difference between a good attorney who understands what they're doing with real estate is the good attorney will make everything go smoothly. And in our world, if I want to buy something and somebody else wants to sell it or vice versa, the attorney's job is to make that happen in a proper orderly manner. Conversely, if you get the wrong attorney, somebody who doesn't understand that world, they can get you you can lose the deal at the early end. They can get you fined and theoretically imprisoned for doing a bad job. Um, and attorneys 
they all pass the same bar test and they all call themselves attorneys, but they are created very, very differently. And the, the best parallel I can give you is doctors. Imagine that you have a, a wisdom tooth that's infected and your neighbor, the proctologist, says he can save you a few bucks on the service. Do you really want to let the proctologist operate in your mouth? It's pretty much what a lot of people choose to do with attorneys. They pick absolutely the wrong person and then wonder why the deal goes sideways. No, you want to find a real estate attorney, not a general attorney, not a probate attorney, not any other kind of attorney. A real estate attorney, and you're going to want one at the early ages who's at least 40. You want to look to see a little gray hair. You'd really like them to be an investor themselves, and you want them to be used to dealing with investors. Uh, that's why uh, when you find your meetup groups or your RIA clubs and things like that, find out who those people are using, and that's the attorney you want to talk to. Here's a question. When would you want to have a an estate planning attorney on call? When would you when would you want to talk to an estate planning attorney? Well, the, the obvious is as I'm planning my estate to pass to my kids, but again, I, I, I'm not saying that you don't want to talk to attorneys as a real estate investor. There are lots of attorneys you do want to talk to. Estate planning is a fantastic one, as is bankruptcy, even criminal defense. Those guys are great leads for you on property. Bingo. You know, there you, you, go. you yeah. find an estate planning attorney. They know what these people have. They know what they want to liquidate. They know who's going to get the property and whether or not that person actually wants it. So they open up a whole new funnel for you in the, the world of real estate leads. And you are an asset to them as a real estate investor because to them, these all these issues that they're going to deal with, these conflicts, are a problem. You stepping into this, you can solve their problems. So you're an asset to those attorneys, but that doesn't happen unless you actually speak to those attorneys. So you got to get out and run your mouth a little bit. Yeah, that just goes back to you know, where you're walking billboard for your business and goes back to talking with the locksmith, and that locksmith may be, that may be your gold mine. Yeah. That bankruptcy attorney may be a gold mine. There, every every you don't know where your next lead is going to come from. You don't know if that bum on the street who's homeless. That's why I treat everybody the same. You don't know if that guy on the street is is a multimillionaire. But first of all, it's not fair to treat anybody differently. Secondly, every lead should be treated with like this could be my next big big lead. It's a great point. What makes real estate fantastic is the stock market is it's open to everybody. Anybody on the planet can figure out what a share of Heinz stock sells for and why. Real estate is an asymmetric market, meaning that not everybody has the same information. And if Alex or I find a super bargain, nobody else is going to see that property before we close on it. So if the garbage man tells me about a vacant property up the street and I can buy it at a super discount, that garbage man just opened up a fantastic world for me. And I might have made sixty, seventy thousand dollars by talking to the garbage man. There you go. So what Josh is saying is probably something like they taught you in kindergarten. Be nice to people because you're supposed to be, and God says to be nice, so be nice. It's gonna make you money. How about that? Be nice and make money. That's my next book. <laughs> I get paid to be nice. Alright, so we got attorneys, super important. Uh, get referrals from, from other investors. Interview the attorneys. Just don't pick somebody. And also, attorneys can be specific. Like, we have an attorney who does a lot of our sheriff sale work. I wouldn't want anybody else doing any of our sheriff sale work. 
another mic, it's another micro niche. You need to yeah. understand that specific world. Some attorneys or you're make know commercial, like large commercial, small commercial, whatever. It's you know there are those micro differences that you know you need to be aware of. The procedural issues, the contract law issues. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to know, and part of your team building is you build a team so that you can plug in people who are an extension of yourself. So I don't have to go to school to learn all there is to know about contract law. I just have to find somebody else who knows a lot about it and then ask them to do what I wish to do. Like a big commercial agent or um, attorney is not necessarily going to know how to do residential evictions. True. You know, Not his so, sport. And, and like you said, Josh, everybody goes and gets and passes the same bar exam. But it's the practical knowledge that the everyday, how the, the, the it really works in the real world at the magistrate's office and how things are supposed to work, but then how things actually practically, you know, all practicality work. And that's so important. So we have, we have some good attorneys that just do evictions for us because that's what they do. They're good at it. Um, why is it good? I'm going to let you talk in a few more minutes, okay? You're doing good over there, though. Can I get you a drink of water? I'm talking to Adam, by the way. Are you good? No water? Okay. Um, a good CPA, it, and I start with, I think, the, the top three, probably attorney, CPA, and real estate agent. I mean, they, not necessarily in that order, but why is a good CPA good versus a bad CA, CPA bad? Was that good English? No, but it was an effective question. Yeah, but you get you got it. <laughs> so explain to me. Just, just do some explaining. People look at a CPA and they think that there's a cost there. A good CPA makes you money. Um, it, it, the tax code is so ridiculous and convoluted that no human being on the earth understands all of it. But a good CPA, and when I say good, I mean one who's experienced with real estate investors. Because the types of deductions that we take are different than, say, well, any other business, really. And every, every investor, including myself... We want to write off everything this year. Yes. And there's actually you're, that's actually wrong. You can actually get in major trouble over it, especially as you get bigger, your target gets larger on your back, and you're writing everything off this year when it should be written off over like carpeting or something. I don't even know the, the laws, but carpeting should be written out over like seven years or something. And the accelerated depreciation a, stuff. That a furnace should be written off over X amount of years. And if it was up to me, I'd write everything off, including my dog. Yep. Yeah, the, the attorney's job is to write off as much as you can legally um, so that you don't end up getting yourself sent to federal prison, which I understand is the nicest kind of prison. But I, you still just want to go there as a visitor to meet your uncle or whatever. But your, your attorney's job is to try to keep you on the right side of that line without going too far. Um the account, the accountant, the attorney—that's that's really their gig—is to try to get you as much as you can within the framework of that legal system. And again, you had said every attorney takes the same bar exam. Well, every CPA takes the same CPA exam. Correct. And my CPA knows when we can stretch those boundaries. You know. Yeah, the the good ones and know they, what they're looking yeah. for and what they're not focusing on. Exactly. And and you bring up a good point that. In every CPA or law class, somebody graduated at the top of the class, somebody else barely squeaked by. And they still call those same people lawyers and accountants. And there's no real, you aren't lawyer one or lawyer 500, 
And I agree with you on probably the age of your CPA should be someone a little more well-seasoned. Somebody new yeah. is not going to know the, the uh, practical, how the, how the world really works at the IRS and you know, what keeps you in and out of trouble. Um, if you go to your CPA with a shoebox with receipts, um, what, do you think your, uh, what do you think your accounting bill is going to look like? Oh, it's going to be impressive. And you've probably kept your accountant from doing a good job. Exactly. You know, they, they see all these receipts. They don't know what that receipt came from or how it should be categorized. And how something is categorized is very, very important. So, so I mean, important. at a minimum, you had better be doing at least an Excel spreadsheet, if not a QuickBooks type program. My accountant talked me into having a, his bookkeeper coming once a month, right? It's not cheap. My accounting bill is astronomical. And I beat my accountant over, uh, over it all the time. But that being said, she has caught, the bookkeeper's a she, she has caught in s some um, major mistakes and has saved me major money. And just at the end of the year, I think ultimately my, my accounting bill is probably less than it would be if I, I know it's less, if I gave my accountant a shoebox and said, here, fix this. It's so important that your bookkeep, I'm horrible at it, it's not my forte, but you better, if you're going to get into this or any business whatsoever, you better find someone who's good at keeping your books right because you've got to know what's coming in, what's going out, and if it was up to me, I would have no clue. So We, we do the same thing. I, I run a much leaner show than you do. It's just me and my wife. But we meet with our accountant or with our bookkeeper once a quarter to prepare things for the accountant. Then we meet with the accountant as a follow-up. Mm -hmm. And just to give you an idea of one of the things that I would have never thought of, we became an S-Corp a couple of years ago. I still don't exactly understand what that means, but now when I get money, I pay myself a salary. Mm -hmm. And it somehow helps massively on my tax bill. Right. I just, I'm doing exactly the same thing, but now I call my company something different. Mm -hmm. And it really matters in a way that I don't even need to understand. Yeah, it's a, a good example for me is uh, we have my wife paid. Uh, she gets paid like as payroll, and we do that because it ultimately is better for us tax time. And yeah. my accountant said so, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with that because I don't want to learn the tax code and I don't want to know why and where and how everything works because I'll never get anything done in my business. Well, that, that's another thing. These, <laughs> these team members that you're adding are to free you up to what you do. I get paid to negotiate real estate deals. Anything that doesn't can't fit in that little box of negotiating real estate deals is a waste of my time and something I should not be doing. So legal stuff. I should not be preparing contracts. I should not be categorizing my expenses. If somebody else can do that, somebody else should be doing that. Real estate is a great and wonderful thing for lazy people. You will make a lot more money by doing less. As backwards as that sounds, if you want to do everything yourself, you will suck at this. Yeah, and, and, and I, I tend to, to want to do everything myself. That's my that's my DNA. And, you know, my mom was very frugal, and I, I don't want to pay anybody to do things. But that is going to absolutely hold you back. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a rock-headed German. I want to do everything myself. <laughs> Nobody will ever do anything as well as I would have done it. Yes. But it's so hard to it, it's so hard to teach yourself, and it's it's taken years of pain and experience, which are almost the same word, to get past that. Where okay, somebody else did it. It was a whole lot easier for me, and it worked out better. Why the frick was I doing that in the first place? <laughs> so Adam, I'm going to allow you to talk now. Oh okay? yes. Sir. So what are you getting out of this? You're like the fly on the wall, so to speak. Here, what are you getting out of this? Coming from an inexperienced 
point of view? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, it's it's important to have a team around you and know your team and know your team's experience level too. Um, just because you know somebody, you know, this this is your money, your money. Now, you know, let's you know anybody listening to this, this is your money that you're dealing with. Um, you don't always want to be the nice guy that just does favors for his friends and and you know really risk what you can bring in uh, profit wise, you know, um, or get you in trouble legally or, or with with tax codes and stuff like that. Um, so it's it's important to get a good experienced team around you, one that you feel comfortable with. Don't try to do it all on your own. I mean, it's you know we, we talk about this all the time. Um, it's there's too much to to handle, and you want to be out looking for properties anyway. You want to constantly be looking for that next deal, or like you said, negotiating that next deal. Um, but right now, what what I'm hearing is your team is invaluable, uh, and it does take money to make money. I mean, I mean, and I think that's the one misnomer that a lot of people they that's the downside of life but that is life I mean it does take money sometimes mm -hmm. to, to make money and I think this is the perfect example of, of yeah and I, I don't want to that's a great point and I want to jump on that I don't want to deter people who don't have money to ever jump into this industry you have to start small you have to have a small team you have to be working on a shoestring budget and your first deal might have to be some sort of creative owner financing gig that's just the way it is but as you grow your team's going to grow your responsibilities are going to grow, your liability is going to grow, you need to have all those systems in place and those team members. Your, your skill set is going to grow as well. Like, I feel it's an advantage to start off in real estate investing it when you're broke because then you don't spend money on anything stupid. When you're broke, you really pay attention to what's going on, where your money's going. It's a good point. If yeah. you had a ton of money, yeah. if you inherited a bunch of money or whatever, yeah. and you're throwing out tens of thousands and it doesn't matter to you. You're going to pick all the wrong people. They're going to do all the wrong things. Yeah. And you're going to wake up in a couple of years and wonder, what the hell just happened? That's, that's kind of like a, a double-edged sword. Now, having that money, I'd love to have a million right now at my disposal because yeah. I could do some serious damage with it. But with not the experience level that I have or the maturity that I have, a million dollars, you could do a lot of damage the, the opposite way. Agreed. Well, you and I have the yeah. same problem, though, because as soon as I get a million dollars, I'm investing it. Yeah, it's gone. I, I if I, I try to be broke as often as humanly possible because as soon as I have that money, I'm looking for something to put it into. But I, I do also talk a lot about on my blogs and, and with emails to, to new investors is um, I even tend to make emotional decisions. If I get a million dollars, that's a responsibility that you have. You have to respect money, not love it, but respect what it can do for you. And sometimes I just have to step back and say, you know what, I'm not going to use any of that until I find a good deal. Instead of emotionally jumping into it because I have it, let's use it. Let's doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make money just because you have a million. You could lose a lot too. Yeah, there, there's you have more at risk. That's <laughs> the the double-edged sword of being an entrepreneur is you earn what you're worth. Sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes it's a very painful lesson in self-worth. Um, you can go ahead and screw something up and you suffer the direct consequences of it, which in the long run is a great and wonderful learning lesson because you'll never forget the painful lessons. But in the short run, it, it really sucks. Yeah, we're going to talk about that too a little bit later. Partnerships. I see a lot of people go into partnerships thinking that everything's going to be uh, kumbaya and it typically does not work out. So I know partnerships absolutely work because I have some good ones, but I've had a lot of bad ones, and we're going to help people make a decision to delineate who's a good partner and who isn't. But let's go on to the next building your team person who that, that should be, woman or man. 
um, should be a good real estate agent or agents. Now, why do I say agents, Adam? Why do you think it would be better to have more than one agent? Um, more agents, more possibilities, more opportunities, potentially more cash flow coming in. Yeah, I think you're getting your network out there to more more people. So you have to be brutally honest with agents, but you also have to be, you know, that you're going to work with other agents. You have to be honest with agents, but you also have to, to be um, sincere with agents too and use them again and again and throw them some really good deals sometimes when, when, and when they deserve it. Um, certain agents, like I'll have people come to me and they, they want me to help them find a place. And I'll tell them right up front, I don't have the time and you're not going to get, you're not going to get what you deserve by hiring me as your agent. Now I can have some of my agents who work under me help you and I'll help make some decisions or help you make some decisions that are critical to the, to the process, but to have me searching for you, not a good idea. So I would not be a good valuable asset or agent to that person, but my team would. But my team only covers certain areas and certain geographical areas. We don't cover shopping malls. We don't sell raw land. We don't do developments. So to have an agent who thinks that they can be everything to you in all areas and geographically covering everything is, is impossible. So the agents you're working with need to know that, you know, and you have to be fair with them. And they have to provide the service to you, which is, in my opinion, an agent's main service is to get you the deals as quickly as possible, respond to you in a prompt manner, and be professional when, you know, putting in offers for you and just just be at your call when you need them Josh what do you got to add on that I, I believe I, I agree with you very much that you want relationships with multiple agents and you want to tell them you're not turning around you're my only agent no 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 you might be my only agent in this zip code or in this particular asset class um, but once I, the, the the big issue I have with agents is uh, I guess the big thing I need to do with agents is to educate them um, because the normal residential buyer is not interested in what I'm interested in, vice versa. So I need to teach them to look for the things that I want. Uh, so find. you're saying like a, a, an agent who does more residential dealing with, you know, families moving and, you know, buying their next home, and that's maybe not an agent that's going to fit uh, no. your, your mold of an agent. That agent would be fantastic for me, but I don't want them to show me the house that everybody else wants. Mm. I want them to find me the house that nobody else wants. Right. You know, we joke yeah. about this in real estate circles. Find me the house that smells of dog urine so badly that your eyes burn when you walk into it. <laughs> and nobody else will enter that property. I want to know about that yeah. house very quick. So true. I took my mom, who's 88, right? We get, I, Sometimes I, I grab her and we just go for a ride because she wants to get out of the house. We'll go see some of my projects. And she'll be like, you're buying that? I'm like, yeah, mom. The uglier, the better. Yeah. She doesn't see that. Yeah, That's the average consumer doesn't see that. We're right? looking for good personality, not attractiveness. <laughs> I can make them look good. And that, yes. that's that's it's what I want. What's on the inside? F you know? Find me a three hundred thousand dollar house in a neighbor, a house that's in a three hundred thousand dollar neighborhood that is hideous and smells bad. I want that house all day long. Yeah. Um, I, I want I want things that the the rest of the market isn't interested in. So I'm I'm your weird. I'm your outlier buyer. So when you come across those things that, you know, it won't pass an FHA inspection. Cool. I'm interested. Um, it's, you know, some, for some reason it's in a neighborhood that nobody wants this thing. Okay, give, give me your ugly. Give me your unwanted. Give me the things that 
everybody, every other agent in your office doesn't want to go get a it's, listing. It's on. like the Statue of Liberty, isn't it? Give us your unwanted yeah. Yeah. and your ugly properties. Yeah. And, you know, welcome, come on to our island. Okay. Smelly, unwashed disasters. <laughs> Give me those things. Let me ask this question. Is it part of the challenge or is it because of the potential profit behind it or a mixture of both? I like the challenge and the challenge excites me. There you go. Um, that's what keeps my brain active and, and working in this field. But the real answer is it's the profit. You know, because everybody will buy the beautiful house. Everybody in that price range. But you have to realize that every house that you ever look at is essentially a box. That box's value is based on its condition, its size, and its location. Find me something that throws that box out of whack for the rest of the people. If I can fix it, I'm stepping into a lot of money. So I'm generating my own economy that way. And I, I'll go a little crazy on this, but let's say that I'm dead broke, but I understand what I'm looking at. I'm brand new. I have no track record. I can still do that deal. It just requires a little more education. So I'm, I, anybody listening to this, you really want to target the things that nobody else is interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and create. You, you can look at something that's just really ugly and smelly and dog pee and all that, and you can create value by doing the typical what you see on HGTV, right? You yep. go in and rehab it. But you can also create value in other ways. You might find a duplex in an area that's really more honed in on value for single family, right? So that duplex that's sitting out there that nobody wants is smelly and ugly could be worth something as a duplex, but guess what? It might be worth twice as much as a single family. Yep. That's where you actually create value out of nothing by knowing the market. And where it gets sexy for your relationship with the agents is, no other agent can sell that house that I want. So if, if you become, if you approach agents properly and explain that you can be their ditching point for all the ugly houses that they encounter, and they'll get paid on things they would normally just throw away. All of a sudden, those agents become very motivated to come to you. And you, like Alex said, you also want to reward them on the back end. You brought me the ugly house. When it's a pretty house, you're the one in charge of selling it. I'll let you get two deals out of this one. Let me ask Adam a question. Adam Adam spearheads the podcast for us. Should we, should we stop and start another podcast, or should we just go on for two I hours? Start. I mean, I... Because we can do that. Right. We can talk for, for days on, on the pro, uh, subjects we're going to talk about. Right now, I mean, I think this is one that... I don't I don't want to break this conversation. You guys got a good flow going. What Let's, would you prefer, Josh? Cause I, gonna, I like stream of consciousness. I'll just babble for hours, depending on where we go. Okay, well, let's, let's keep it moving. Let's keep it moving. So, the next question to you, Josh, is... Real estate agents are also can also be property managers. You can sell cemetery plots. You have to have an you have to have a real estate license to sell cemetery plots. I didn't know that one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Never so, been involved in one of those sales. I, I don't know if you're gonna necessarily want to network with a cemetery plot agent, but maybe there's an angle there I'm missing. But why would you want to network with property managers? Property managers are fantastic. Well, a because you're gonna want them for your own properties. But secondly, because they know who wants to sell. Um, a lot of times, property managers get dumped on. Uh, you'll have somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. They bought a property that they shouldn't have. Wait, say that again? The property managers get what? The property managers get dumped on. I should have my wife come up here. Yeah, my yeah. wife My wife runs the property management division. She would, oh, poor woman. She would 120% agree with you on that one. Well, you see, it's I'll, a no-win situation with the property manager that's the only reason we do property management is because 
I have an extensive portfolio. It comes in handy. I have resources that come in handy for my own personal reasons. We do make a small profit on property management, but there's also a lot of sales that can come out of property management, which you just uh, you you hinted on. Yeah. We know when a, a, an owner wants to get out or trade up, and a lot of times we have a perfect match. So we can do a quick win-win-win for everybody, which is a beauty. And um, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I'll let you go on with you know, oh, no, no why problem. property managers are so important. Uh, property managers get a lot of dysfunctional deals, and their job, they're, they're paid to sort this out for the investor who didn't know what he was doing in the first place. And a lot of times those deals aren't fixable. I mean, they just bought something dead wrong, and or they just don't have the stomach for being a, a real estate investor. And the property manager will be the first person who knows if that's going to go for sale. And if I can find something before it hits the market, market, I have a much better chance of negotiating a bargain than if everybody and their mother knows this thing's on the market. Um, property managers also are brought in at times as consultants. You know, I. I a new investor wants to take a look at a property to decide if they should buy it. And a lot of new investors are afraid to pull the trigger and they'll talk themselves out of a wonderful deal. Even with that property manager standing there saying, yes, this is a home run. Yes, you want this. Yes, you should put an offer in that right now. That is a great point. So what he's saying is, like your, your real estate agent's working with you, help you find a place, right? You can sometimes, and I think it's very prudent, bring in that property manager who knows that area and say, what do you think about these numbers? Because a lot of times the owners who are selling the property and their agent may not be giving you accurate numbers. They're giving you numbers, but they may not be accurate. Okay? Oh, very true. And a lot of times rents are inflated, or what I see in many cases is rents may be very high for one reason, because it took those owners. They set up that property for the sale, and how they set it up was they found as many high-paying tenants as they could to make that property cash flow right now. But what they don't show you is it took them six months to rent each apartment. So you see what I'm saying where a good property manager can give you, okay, hey Alex, the price ranges on rent should be, these are all on the high side. Just wanna let you know that. So if you're if you're skewing everything you, your, your entire portfolio, your profit and loss statement on these high rent numbers, you're probably gonna find yourself in a little bit of a pickle when the market does drop back down to where it should be. Yeah, a good property manager in, in an area where they operate will have a feel for what your rent should be, what your vacancy rate will be at the high and the low end of that range, what amenities people are looking for in that area, and what the sub-markets are, which is really important, especially in a place like Pittsburgh. Explain, you move, explain sub-markets. Well, you, you move a couple of blocks in certain neighborhoods, and you are in a completely different area. So the, north, the north side is the best example I have. I can't even yeah. keep track of how many subsets of north side there are. True. You know, you look at it from True. a flipper's perspective, and 300000 you move two blocks, you're at $150,000. Mm-hmm. The same is true with that rental. You know, you move from a $2,000 a month rental to a $1,000 a month rental. In the distance, you could have walked in five minutes. And a good property manager yeah. will yeah, tell yeah. you, because I've seen a lot of sellers try to pull off, and I'll give you an example. I had somebody try to give me comps to, to justify the price of a property they said was Southside, except it was Mont Oliver up above the cemetery. That's not remotely the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But if I wasn't from this area and I didn't know that inherently, going to a local property manager who would have looked at me like I had three heads when I threw out those numbers would have been wow. very educational. I, I got a great story for that. We had 
young kids, good kids too, smart, came in from New York, bought something in the South Side. Not from us. They came to us for management. When I saw what they bought, I did instruct them on the bad news. <laughs> I'm pretty real with people. I said, I think you guys probably overpaid. We're going to be lucky to get this amount because that market is saturated right now in rentals. And man, if I wasn't right, we could not rent it. They're actually going to another property management company and God bless them. I hope they get it sold. They realize they made a mistake, but they didn't have their team in place and they made a really bad purchase. I'll give you an example to go with that. I just had somebody approach me that they were interested in buying a property and the property they were interested in was a, a three bedroom property. But the person who owned it had actually segmented that off and was renting it out as five separate units, which isn't legal in Pennsylvania. Those were the numbers they were shown. Mm -hmm. We're projecting five units worth of rent into this three-bedroom property. But so, so this property didn't have five kitchens and five baths? No. It was almost like a boarding it, house. It, it like was set up like an like illegal a, boarding house is yeah. what it was. Um, and they were using it for student housing, which is fine, right to the point where the code enforcer gets a hold of you. Um, that fellow in Oakland got fined, what was it, 100000 for that? No kidding. For overloading the, the property? Because they'll actually crack down on that. Wow. And he, he was turned in by the post office. <laughs> he didn't even have to, to upset anybody. The post office, Damn post office. showed showed the uh, code post enforcement people a picture of all the names on the mailbox. You don't want to piss off the postman, I'll tell uh -uh. you that. That's actually a great source of leads. Be very That's nice to the postman. Very true. Very true. They know when people are moving in and out. <laughs> they know where all. They know where mail's being forwarded. They but, know all sorts of things. But that subset that you brought up is so true. Like uh, Squirrel Hill and Greenfield, they are both neighboring communities, both the same little school area, like school districts, Pittsburgh, but they have their own, I guess, primary school and all that stuff. It's it's very similar. Well, uh, well um, it's in demand, you know, for yeah. families. And there's, there's a complete difference. If you're not within that shopping district where you can walk and get a coffee and go to the, you know, secondhand store and go up the, and down the, the strip, you are like night and day areas. Well, I'll give you Regent yeah. Square in Wilkinsburg. Oh, yeah. I, I've, seen, I've seen a number of deals last year where they were dead smack Wilkinsburg, but they were claiming they were Regent Square. Yeah. And if I didn't know the difference and I pulled up information on Regent Square, uh, I could that, make a ridiculous mistake. That's kind of like... Uh, comparing Syria to Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. That's yeah, I mean, war zone to, you know, mm -hmm. affluent. <laughs> really, within, within walking distance. Yeah. And it's and it's a property manager that a lot of times will look at you and say, nobody will consider this area and the neighborhood that you think you're buying. A good property manager. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot. It's actually a very valid point. There are a lot of, I don't know if it's a Pennsylvania thing. I think it actually is. A lot of horrible property managers out there. And I don't mean bad. I mean stinking horrible. Um, like lawsuit and criminal prosecution territory. Horrible. Uh, in Pennsylvania, you are required to have an agent's license to be a property manager. Mm -hmm. And I would say 90% aren't. Yeah, there, there are it's, a lot. There are a lot doing it when they shouldn't be. And it's not that difficult to be licensed and insured. But uh, just, again, building your team. Attorney, CPA, real estate agents. We could go into uh, just a multitude from anything. We didn't even really get into real estate agents. Our real estate agents are not created equal. Absolutely. There are lots of soccer moms out there who and slap, soccer dads and soccer dads pick on who slap moms. that title's real estate agent on themselves, and they maybe sell one a year. 
those people are not, in fact, real estate agents. They, they, they're dabblers. They're hobbyists. Um, you want somebody who is truly a professional as your real estate agent. Somebody who understands the market. Um, somebody who can tell you if a market's heating up or cooling down. Somebody who understands just instinctively what days on market look like. Uh, somebody who has enough experience where they can tell you what kind of features people are looking for or in our world tell you what features a house does or doesn't have. How about, how about one that can look you straight in the eye and say, <laughs> you're an idiot. Yeah, honesty is a great one. I, you don't want the yes man real estate. One of my least favorite real estate companies, I won't name them for fear of being sued, likes to go really high on their estimates of what they'll sell for. And they do this just to get listings. And I suspect most of them know they're lying. Some of the newer ones probably don't. Um, but they'll tell you anything. You're sitting on a $150,000 house. You tell them you want two hundred out of it, they'll smile and tell you they'll get to you two twenty. There's no way in hell that's actually going to happen because the market dictates the price. Or you get lucky and find a random idiot, but you can't really count on that. It's not really a strategy. But you want somebody who will be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Nine times out of ten, I'm right. Yeah. And just because... I mean, I do this every day. I'm going to know more than the average consumer. So nine times out of ten, I'm right. But nine times out of ten, the consumer always feels their property is worth more money. It's just human nature. True. Right? Yeah. That is one of the things that the, the, the traditional buyers and sellers can't really get their heads around is that your emotional attachment to something does not mean it has value to anybody else. Yeah, zero value. That's why I really I love dealing with the, the investor because they are more of a mind... They, they, they make more uh, decisions with their mind versus with their heart. And, you know, they didn't raise their kids there and all that good stuff. We're math-oriented. I mean, I, I'll yeah. sometimes walk into a property and say, wow, this thing's gorgeous. But I don't care until we've discussed what kind of deal we can make on it. <laughs> this is pretty. Yeah, it's, it's irrelevant. I don't I'm care. I'm not going to make any money here, but this is really yeah. pretty. <laughs> it's nice to see it. <laughs> I'll take a picture of this, send it to my wife, and leave. Thanks. Anything you want to add as, as far as the real estate agents part of our team? Real estate agents, there's almost a, I guess, a transition between the young, inexperienced, and very enthusiastic and the older, more established, very busy. Mm-hmm. You kind of want to find somebody who's in between those two spots. Right. Where they aren't too busy to talk to you and they're still enthusiastic, but they know something. Mm-hmm. Um, young and ridiculously enthusiastic will occasionally stumble into something just through blind luck. And the really established agents, the ones that are, if you see their face everywhere in your neighborhood, they're probably too busy to care about you. You want to find somebody who's in between those two spots. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. Or, or a team, which is what I have, where I'm available for the really important decision making. I'm not available to set you up on any sort of email blast. I'm not available to uh, walk you through every part of the home buying process, but I am part of allowing my agents access to me when it comes to really important decisions. You know, is this worth buying? Is this actually a three bedroom, Alex? One of them is captive, or the third bedroom is an eight by seven. That's really not a third bedroom. You kind of got to you got to do an ARV after repair value of that third bedroom house. It's kind of a hybrid between a two and a three bedroom. Big, big difference, you know. True, and there's no place that will teach you to do that. That's experience talking. Experience street, to, and like you said, street to street can can vary drastically. The a good example that's 
just way out there, but it's a good example that helps you understand this. Is we all in Pittsburgh, we all know Grandview Avenue. Grandview Avenue has a view of the city. That view is worth millions of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Two blocks back could be worth a f absolute fraction of that. So and that's, a quarter mile away to go to Allentown or Knoxville, you're in a war zone. Oh yeah, yeah, you're talking. Uh, Kevlar and stuff. $20,000 yeah. houses instead of million-dollar houses. <laughs> but you can walk up to the uh, overview and, and look at the city. You just have to make sure you don't get shot or mugged <laughs> on the way out. If you look at the two differences, I live in Elliott, and Mount Washington is maybe a quarter mile, maybe, down the street. You know, yeah. I'm within walking distance of the West End Overlook, and then right and look at the property value difference between Mount Washington and between Elliott. Yeah, so huge. So true. Yeah, and, and you have that West End Overlook that you're... Th I, I always look at it like... <clears throat> It's because the view up there is phenomenal. Yeah. But that area, I just it's just not coming around. And I, I don't know if it ever will, to be honest well, with you. Well, Elliot brings me up an idea because that neighborhood, it, gives, it reminds me of one of the things that you need a good agent for is to tell me what the drivers are in a neighborhood to moving it up or down. Elliot has that police station coming in. Mm -hmm which is helping to make Elliott a warmer, hotter neighborhood. Yes. And that's what you started seeing when they first announced that is when you started seeing a lot of people were looking at horrible, burned-out houses and starting to rehab them and flip them or rehab them and hold them because there was indication that that neighborhood was going to become better. And it is a nice little neighborhood. You know, it yeah. really is. I'm not, not pleased. Anyone In the last year, it's come up quite a bit. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Good we, 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 we've had home invasions over there, too, recently, so... I didn't say it was perfect. It's just it's better than it was. I bought a lot of stuff over there, thinking it was you know the right move. But I guess maybe ten years down the road, I don't know. That's the thing with you in real estate. You don't know where the next hotspot is. It's actually a valid point. Is if you're trying, and I get this question fairly often, people who are trying to buy the next hotspot, man, that's that's guesswork. I, I, I can that. articulate I, several I love that might it, be. When I'm doing my uh, workshops, hey, Alex, where, where's the next hotspot? If I knew that, I would not be up here on a Saturday <laughs> training you boneheads. I'd be buying every bit of I could get. <laughs> not, no offense, but I wouldn't be up here doing this. I'd be doing something else. So. One of my great regrets, anybody outside of Pittsburgh won't understand this, but Lawrenceville is a very hot <clears> neighborhood now. Um, I could have bought, somebody tried to own or finance me 40 properties in Lawrenceville. Oh my God. Maybe 10 years ago when they were 40,000 a piece. Wow. Now they're three to 500,000 a piece. You dummy. Yeah, I, I will kick myself in the ass for that for the rest of my you're, natural you're life. You ever Sanford and Son? Yeah. You big dummy. I did what I want. I did. Man, I know I had a chance to buy some units over there, but nothing, nothing that magnitude. Oh it's a whole God. package. Old fellow retiring, wanted to, and I didn't want it. Who knew so, it? No, it was, who, it who horrible. Known? I mean, you're a smart guy. Who would have known what's what? In, I didn't know Lawrenceville very well. I don't do much business over there. Who knew that? What caused that to become so hot? The hospital. The children's hospital. The hospital was the driver. I grew up That's in Millville, it. across the river. As a kid, that was the only neighborhood I could make fun of. So one. Now hospital. I came even close. <laughs> who who would have thought, right? Who yeah. Thought. One hospital was the driver, which makes you question things like the expansions on the hospital they're going to make now. Mercy's getting an expansion. Uptown's already kind of hot. Mm -hmm. They're going to go over the Central Hills, the Hill District, the next neighborhood. I've been arguing for McKe McKee's Rocks for years. It still hasn't really turned. It hasn't. And they got some sort of hub going, coming in down there where the trains are coming in and yeah, trucks. It's, a, it's like a billion-dollar investment. Still I, hasn't really turned that neighborhood. Yeah, and I, I tell my investors, I said, well, let me ask you this. So I don't know how many people that's going to employ. Probably not a whole lot. Maybe a couple hundred, maybe even a thousand. Yeah. But if you... 
and you can get on to 65, 79. You can get anywhere to McKee Drive downtown pretty quick. But my point is, you can also get to a better neighborhood. You don't have to live in McKee Rocks just because it's billion-dollar things going there. And I just don't see McKee Rocks as being the next hotspot. There's just not the neighborhood feel over there. It's more of an old, old um, steel mill tower, you know, that folks built their houses and wherever they could, and when you know, for as cheap as they could. Just so it still they hasn't to, turned. It hasn't. And, but you're right. If you look at geography, it's a, it should be a fantastic location. It's just not. Yep. Now, Beaver County is going through that right now. They all think the cracker plants can be the greatest thing in history. Mm-hmm. It's Bill, billions of dollars out 600 there. 600 jobs total. And that's, <laughs> wow. That's, that's it. Term. That's short-term jobs, too. That's not even long-term. That, that, and that's not counting the people they're bringing in from out of town, either. I'm, I'm from Beaver County originally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my buddies is involved a little bit with some things down there. So for me not to get sued, I can't say too much. But <laughs> for, uh, it was my understanding, and this is word of mouth, that realistically this is going to keep about 100 jobs after the whole big thing. It's going to be about 100 local jobs that will stay stay here, and that's it. Wow. Um, so it's it. there's a lot of hoopla going on, and it looks great for maybe like a five-year plan, but past that five-year plan, what is there really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's where the, the professionals see it very different than the herd. So, I mean, again, you're, you're back to your team. If you were up there and knew nothing of Beaver County, if you're up there just walking down the sidewalk talking to the locals, you think you stepped into a boom town. Mm-hmm. You think that's about to become the biggest biggest opportunity of your lifetime. The reality is very different. It'll be nice, but it's not going to change a whole heck of a lot of any of those zip codes. Now, I, I'm almost 40 years old and I've spent most of my life in Beaver County. Here's one thing I'll say about Beaver County. It thinks it's little Hollywood. So everything's always better in Beaver <laughs> County when really it's just, it's it's a suburb of Allegheny County, guys. I mean, it's you're on the outskirts, guys. Settle down, Beaver County. My, my wife's from Brighton Township. I'm still going to quote you tonight. Please do. <laughs> I'm from Hopewell, so show I. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about um, networking and continue, continue our discussion about who we can add to our team. Before you do that, may I j- jump in real quick? Yeah. I just want to do a quick reset. Uh, guys, in case you're wondering, this is the Deacon Hoover Radio Network. Uh, I'm Adam. I'm Ghost on this one. I'm, I'm kind of staying out of this one. I'm listening to two experts talk today. We got the Deacon of Real Estate, Alex Deacon, with us as always. Uh, and joining us today, we have Josh Caldwell, the man. Just known as yeah. the man, Josh the uh, man Caldwell, and these two brilliant minds are sitting here uh, talking all about real estate investing, um, what you need to know, what's great to have on your team. I'm just sitting back and taking it all in, like you guys are, gentlemen. Continue. Absolutely. Okay, so Josh, I consider him to be an expert on networking and marketing. Just you're very good at it. I got to give you that. Those are definitely you're not very strong. good at too many things, but you're That's good at the network. I'm sure, my, I'm sure your wife would agree. <laughs> So Josh is the uh, he's, he heads the RIA group in this Western PA. Um, he's probably dealt a lot with wholesalers, and I'm gonna let him jump in there and explain to our 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 listeners why it's important to be friendly with wholesalers and why they can be a huge asset to you as an investor. You want to get to know as many wholesalers as humanly possible, and you want them to know what it is that you buy. Um, you want to be on their lists. Because what a wholesaler is, is a wholesaler is the simplest form of real estate investor where they go out and they find something they can buy at price A and sell it at price B as long as B is a bigger number. That's their entire business in a nutshell. So they're always looking for deals. So why do you have to bother? For the most part, you can just turn them loose. It's like your own sales force. It doesn't yeah. cost you anything. Exactly. They're, yeah. they're a 100% commission-based sales force. 
turn them loose. If they find something you want to buy, they make money. It's a very simple proposition. You just describe what it is you're looking for, and they put it in front of you where you can give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down. How many of those people do you want working for you for free? And I'll look at everything. I will look at, uh, there are wholesalers that do a lot of flips, and a lot of folks may look at them like skeptical, like, well, why do they want to sell this? And I'll tell you why. In a lot of cases, they want to sell because they know it's a piece of crap. But that's where your due diligence comes in. That's up to you to, to find the good deals. You can't blame the wholesaler for bringing them to you. But that wholesaler may have 10 flips going on, and they can only handle eight. So they have two potentially good properties that they can make a nice chunk of money on, and I don't care what they make. A lot of folks get caught up into the idea of, well, you're making $50,000 on this, and you just basically got it under contract. Well, what do you care if you can turn around and make $40,000, even if you have to do all the work and rehab it? Who cares? So don't get caught up in that game of, well, you're making more money than I am. If I can make money on a deal, I'm going to buy it. If I can't, thanks for bringing it to me. Keep bringing them. Yeah, what, what the other person gets in the deal is irrelevant. What I get in the deal matters. If the deal's good enough for me, it, I don't care in the slightest bit what the other guy got out of it. I hope they did well. Yeah, don't get caught up in that. Greed kills, speed kills, so just chill. <laughs> That's my little rap version there. Always okay. come with the rhymes. So work with wholesalers. So, so the pros are of working with wholesalers, more deals in your pipeline, in network. Um, you get to build relationship with these wholesalers. I've actually built some really good friendships with wholesalers and partnered up with them on deals. You know, because sometimes one and one doesn't equal two. One and one equals a multiple of that, you know, one to one equals ten or twenty, because a deal that they can maybe make five or six thousand dollars on a quick wholesale, if they team up with me with my resources and money and maybe my knowledge and my expertise in a certain area, we can collectively make fifty thousand dollars. So we can make twenty five thousand each or whatever our split is, but they can make a whole lot more than five. So that's that's another way to think about wholesalers is part of your sales force, but also potential partners. I'll give you a deal that I'm working on right now, and I can't disclose too much of the details on this because I've signed non-disclosure agreements. It's the biggest deal of my life. Um, I had a wholesaler bring a $15 million deal to me. I'm looking to buy it at 25. I believe I can make $50 million on a single transaction. Sweet. If I can find somebody up the food chain who wants it for me. Yeah, Josh won't be coming to our podcast after this. You know, it's a chain of wholesaling. But these people, I met them because they were buying a property that I was also. They're oh, out yeah. of state. I'm their contact in this part Goes of the Goes back to where you don't know where your next deal is going to come from. Yep. It could be the homeless guy on the street that you're giving a $5 to, to Josh Caldwell, my new best friend. I was going to say, well, I'm shoveling that bottom <laughs> lip up off the floor now, and I'm trying to... Well, the Josh part is Caldwell, my that. new best friend. The deal we met on would never happen. They didn't buy it. They just We just talked long enough to... You know, create an affinity, yeah. and that—that's really what it is. Is you just talk to anybody that you're talking to, buying or selling, is becomes a future networking link for you. And I think that's one thing. And I, I, I'm a novice at this, guys. So I'm, you know, but correct me, please correct me if I'm wrong. But oh, you know, oh, we will. Yeah, and we you will, do. We will. You, Adam. you do. Yes, thank yes. you, sir. Um, Remember, but, we just allowed you to go from grunting and nodding to speaking. So I was allowed. We have no problem in telling sometimes. you to, you know, you're, you're completely out of Sometimes, then I'll get grounded again. 
Thanks, Dad. <laughs> no, uh, but <laughs> I completely lost where I was going with that. Good, you guys. Yeah, where, 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 where were you going with it? I had a good question, but now it's it's. Am fine. I gonna have to put you back on quarantine and nodding? I'm back on time. Well, you ask a good question quickly. Yeah, yeah. Before it evaporates. All right. What are the cons of working with wholesalers? The only con I could possibly come up with is some of the deals won't be great and you'll waste 30 seconds looking at them. That's the key, wasting 30 seconds. That's I, I've it. looked at about five this week, never left this office. Because all five of them were in... Actually, I looked at one. I went out and looked at one because it was marginal. The rest weren't even close to marginal. So if you do your research, you know your market, um, you could save a whole lot of time by doing a desktop analysis, which that's a whole... That's a whole, it's like, a whole other course there. It, it really is. It's so important because we, we all, I, I teach about only having 168 hours in a week. We all have the, the equal amount, whether you're a billionaire or a, or you're myself or somebody who has virtually nothing, you have the same amount of time. So uh, relishing that time is, is super critical. Who else can we have on our team, Josh? Come on. Oh, good grief. I invited you here for a reason. I, I, I can come up with lots and lots of them. Um, man, where do I even want to go with this direction? I, let me give you a, I, I kind of alluded to both of them earlier, but let me give you a couple of my favorite lead feeds. Um, I love the police. Mm. The police know where problems are happening. The popo. Uh, if you talk to the police and tell them, hey, could you let me know anytime you show up at a domestic dispute? You get a landlord who gets into a fist fight in the front lawn with a tenant, you get a landlord who would like to sell a property. Um, the magistrates are the same thing. Or... If you just had a tenant get arrested and yanked out of a property, you've got an unexpected vacancy, that landlord might be interested in selling. Um, if you've had a drug bust in that property, you can almost guarantee that landlord wants to sell. So you're taking us to the minutia, right? Our t- team members are anybody who's living and breathing. Almost, yeah. Essentially. Hey, post, postal workers, I love. The last one, was I stopped them on the street in Bright, Bright Heights. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was looking for vacant property. I love vacant property because I can buy a vacant property for $100 and sell it for 5000 and nobody bats an eye. Um, and he gave me, I think it was 18 properties off the top of his head on his postal route. Wow. Just as I stood there with a notebook just in the middle of the sidewalk, just yeah. jotting them down like a crazy Invaluable. Person. Invaluable. That, that's what I actually wanted to interject real quick, Josh, is the one thing I'm not picking up, and guys, please correct me if I'm wrong, is that it sounds like, the, like it's imperative. Market yourself. Market yourself. Network. 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 Always be, you know, like uh, like in Glengarry Glen Ross was always always be closing the ABCs. This is always not, like always be networking. Always be let people know, hey guys, this is what I do. Yeah. Be proud of what I do. Be boisterous about you know. Wear yeah, you, here's, I'll say this. I was a, I was an introvert. I still think I am an introvert. To be honest with you, I started as a mechanic, and you just basically Jew in the car. And when I got into this business and started you know reading books, taking courses, working with other agents who are good. You realize that every person has to be good at marketing, whether you're a dentist. Because if you're the best dentist on the planet and nobody knows where you are or who you are, you're not going to make any money. McDonald's does not have the best food, but is McDonald's the most lucrative restaurant chain in the, on the planet? Yes, because they're good at marketing. They don't make the best food. So a lot of real estate agents, a lot of attorneys, a lot of whatever – Plumbers, electricians, not necessarily are they the best. They're just best at marketing themselves. So that's critical. That's why I'm friends with Josh, and that's why I like to be around him because he, whenever you're around someone who knows 
a lot more about a certain topic than you do, you're going to just automatically learn from them. Get, so, Josh, thank you so much for being my friend. Yay. And if that $15 million <laughs> deal comes through, I'm... You'll never see me again. We're buddies. <laughs> on a side note, Cyprus is the only nation on the planet that won't extradite you anywhere except Turkey. Um, so as long as Turkey doesn't want you, you can move to Cyprus and never be seen again. Just in case you're ever looking for <laughs> me. Where, where's Cyprus? It's the island right exactly. off of Greece and Turkey. So they they keep fighting fighting over it. It's literally split down the middle. You want to be on the Turkish side. Everybody wants to be in Cyprus? Everybody who doesn't want to be found again, yes. Okay. <laughs> is there any hills there so that we can say we were at Cyprus Hill? Probably true. <laughs> uh, there's probably a hill there so it's an island. It's got to have some kind of right, elevation. Exactly. Uh, that was a terrible joke. Guys. Um, <laughs> but I'll give you a great example of a network. I had a brand new investor call me maybe six months ago and I wanted to cry because it was such a wonderful deal and it wasn't mine. Her neighbor told her about a house next to her neighbor's relative. This house, it was a divorcing couple, which is anywhere there's chaos, there's a real estate deal to be had. The divorcing couple, the husband was already gone, left the wife of the house she didn't want and couldn't afford. They're in a $350,000 to $400,000 neighborhood. She wanted $115,000 for the house to get rid of the rest of the mortgage, and it needed $25,000 in rehab. So you're all in at $140,000, you're out in that minimum 350000 range. Everybody and their mother would take that deal if it was on the open market. But because of this brand new investor telling her friend that she was becoming an investor, she was the only person who had a shot at it. She called me and I told her to pounce on that immediately. And she did and she made quite a bit of money. Um, but it was just a good example of the power of networking. It wasn't anything formal. It wasn't anything planned. If she knew nothing. It was a she. Yeah, she knew she, absolutely nothing. She knew nothing. very little, and but she had a good team member, which was Josh, consultant, mentor, and holy cow, that one association, along with telling her friend that, hey, I'm an investor now. I have a business card that I got for five cents. I'm going to make $100,000 next year because of that one deal. 200000 Okay, which, make, make me which feel is, bad. Which is an okay income if you can get buying that per month. Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> let's have let's have a moment of silence. Moment of silence for us. Moment of respect for the woman yeah. who jumped on that deal. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like uh, I do these deals. I make ten, fifteen grand. Yeah. I, I'm small potatoes, man. Yeah, she she. First, small first deal out of the gate. That was that was the biggest thing I had to explain to her is your next deal is going to make you make you cry. You're gonna, your next deal <laughs> yeah. sucks. I don't care what it is. Your next deal is going to suck compared to this one. I can tell you right now. I've never and I've done this for a while. I've never done a deal where I've made over a hundred thousand dollars. I've done them, but I've worked my ass off for them. I've never yeah. fallen into one like that. I mean, enough at bats. You're gonna you're gonna hit some home runs, but it's it's you got to hit the you got to get the at bats. Some of the deals I'm most proud of made almost nothing. I, I, I did one in Braddock one time. That I only did it because it was a friend of a friend. It didn't have a boiler in it. Um, it was missing several windows, and Braddock is a straight-up war zone. Um, and I made 3500 bucks on that deal. I was proud that I made 3500 bucks on that thing. Yeah, I tell you what, you can make some money in the rough areas. I, I have. I've made quite a lot of money in the rough areas. The, the lower-priced... Properties tend to minimize your risk. You can always rent them. You can always break even if you sell it, get in and out. It's very little money out of your pocket from 
from the get-go. But if you know those areas really well and you're buying right, you can make a whole shitload of money. Oops, excuse my French. And be in and out quickly. And do a whole and do more volume. So instead of doing that $200,000 deal that, that your friend did, and maybe do those once a year, those are great. And those are all those at-bats that you have. But it's not a, I don't have a problem doing 20 of the $15,000 deals either. I, Alex kind of tripped a, a thought for me. <clears throat> And one of the things I, I tell a lot of real estate investors is your personal taste is irrelevant. Whether you would move into a house or not has absolutely nothing to do with whether it's a good purchase. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what that's called? That's called the, the golden rule is do unto others. That's called the platinum rule. Do unto others as they would have you do to them. So meaning what looks like a piece of garbage to you is a palace to to that sector, that neighborhood, that that buyer pool. Very you, true. Yeah, you have to know yeah, those we, different markets. We're ruled by math, and as much as I hate to say that, math is really uh, the core of what we do. I like to think it's interpersonal relations, but those interpersonal relations get me to the math. And you need to take yourself out of your opinion. Your opinion doesn't even exist in this conversation. And the the way I've always illustrated it is. Just because I don't like a house doesn't mean somebody else doesn't want to live there as a renter, an owner, or even a flipper. And the easiest way to prove this to yourself is to go to the mall. Find the ugliest human being you can locate and then look for his or her wedding ring. Somebody else thought that was an absolute keeper. Oh, that's so cruel. And it's, but it's <laughs> true. That's the best way to... You know, in the in the real estate world, if you walk up to people at the mall and say you are ugly, and somebody that's a wedding ring, I say that inside my head. Yes. Oh my god. Um, but yeah, you should thank your lucky somebody stars. Somebody else thought you were the one. You were the one out of the entire human species that I wanted to spend the rest of my life so with. That, that's... I'm trying not to look directly at you so I don't turn to stone. <laughs> but a lot of what I do is I am a, a dating service for the ugly. I'm either buying the ugly thing or selling the ugly thing. So I become very comfortable with what is not attractive to me personally. We talked. It's on the. We talked about it, it's on the inside, Josh. Very true. Beauty's on the inside. Very true. It's don't painful to, to look at, but it's it's. Don't there. Even have to be for this, <laughs> right? All right. Here's this is a painful. Uh, this this is a painful team member, and this is gonna uh, go. This this is across the board: electricians, plumbers, landscapers, but contractors. Oh God. Okay. We all ready for this one? Now, I, I'm going to stand up for contractors right right here and now. Contractors get a bad beat. They get a bad beat because they get beat up. They get just, their time is wasted on a consistent basis. They deal with the general public. The general public can't make up their mind. The general public gets 10 estimates. The general public wants to beat you up on your price. And it's a snowball effect because they think all contractors are ripoffs, so therefore I have to beat up the contractor and... So what I'm getting at is having a good contractor, GC, plumber, electrician, GC is a general contractor, can run the whole whole boat, is critical. Even though they don't even have pass a, a, a high school education, they are as important to you as the Harvard graduate who's your attorney. More important, I can get attorneys a lot easier than I can get contractors. That is absolutely true. Right. Contractors, there's a hard, the hard part about contractors is 99% of them do give the other 1% a bad name. So you end up having to sort through this big pile of people to find the ones that are keepers. And when you get a keeper, oh God, you cling to that keeper. 
And it's bad enough that even very friendly real estate investors a lot of times won't tell you who their good contractors are because they're afraid that they'll be stolen or corrupted. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I have a really good GC, and he's he doesn't like to share his crew, and I understand that. I, I've got a great plumber right now that I'm hoping to God nobody else discovers. <laughs> I'm horrified of other people messing him up. Here, here's what I see. Tell me if this is if, you, if this is like your mere view of, of contractors. I'll find good ones. They start out cheap. They start out good, reliable. I even tell a large majority of them that they're not charging me enough because I want to be fair. Doggone it. I want to be the, the nice guy. And then the next job takes a little longer, gets a little more expensive. The next job, longer, more expensive. The next job, he doesn't even return my phone calls. That's what I find, and that's what I find so frustrating that and I try to explain to these contractors right from day one, understand, you're getting volume. Okay, so I bring to the table something that the average investor does not, and that can be massive volume. So, and you should be making six figures on that massive volume. But if you want to make $100,000 or more, it, it's, it's, gonna, it's, a, it's a long road. You're gonna have to have, you're gonna have to stay small and work with me. If you wanna grow, it's a different ball game. It's it's just it's hard to, to reach those contractors and let them understand it. I, I do bring value. Volume brings value. Please don't treat me like the average consumer. What do you what do you have to say about that? I think you described the pattern very well. Although it's at the early stage, let's say I've got a complete house I need to redo. I'll start off by interviewing several contractors. Some of them will work out. Some of them won't. Some of them fail right out of the gate. Then there's these ones that that appear to be fantastic. And they'll be quick and under budget on the first deal. Not so quick, not so under budget on the second one. By the fourth, they're usually a problem. Um, then we throw in things that I have to watch them for. Some of them will occasionally have drug and alcohol issues. <laughs> I was just writing this down. Some of them will end up in jail. Um, I've lost two good ones to jail for completely unrelated things. Um, so it's it's almost a constant thing. And then you've got parts what Alex was describing is you'll have somebody else come in and woo them away to pay them more than they're worth. Then they're gone. Um, or they get too busy and you can't get a hold of them anymore. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's almost a constant search for contractors. I had one just recently. Done five or six flips for me. I'm fair on my pay. If he goes over budget, I say, you know what? You did more work here. Here's, here's an extra thousand, whatever. But he had somebody approach him who had a lot of money, and they wanted their basement refinished. And after about three weeks of that, and the wife changing her mind like ten times on tile and colors, he, he fired himself. So, yeah, that lure of more money, go for it. But you stay with me. It's steady. You're going to get paid. You're going to make money. You earn my respect, my trust. I'm going to help you find real estate deals. But it's hard to find that contract. And, and let, let me stick up for the contractor now. You'll get the owner that just undercuts the daylights out of somebody. They give the contractor unreachable expectation. Like, you should be able to do that bathroom for $2,000 because the materials are going to cost you 1000 I want you to gut that bathroom, and I want to pay you 1000 that's insane, okay? 
that person has to go pick up the materials, make sure the plumber shows up, make sure the electrical's done correctly. You just can't do a bathroom for two thousand dollars. I don't care what anybody says. If if you're telling me you can, then that's great. But do it yourself. You, pr- you probably have a drunk or a drug addict on the other side of the you know pounding the hammer, and that's just the truth. But then again, you can't hire union carpenters and expect to make money. So yeah, ha- it's it's a really fine line finding experienced, quality, reliable versus. Super expensive. They want to do it absolutely grade A every time, which you just can't happen, and you can't do, you can't shortcut it either. Yeah, it's it, there's there's a whole spectrum there, and so when you you start off maybe talking to three or four contractors, you usually want to throw away the lowest bidder, especially if it's an outlier bid. If they're well below what everybody else is, they're done. Do not talk to that person. Save yourself that pain. Go ahead, ask me how I know. Um, How do you know that? <laughs> oh, that just hurts. <laughs> it's still going to cost you what everybody else says and probably more. Yeah. You just have the illusion that it's going to cost less. What will probably really happen is they'll get in the middle of that job, screw it up, and walk away. And then you have to pay somebody else to put it back together oh, and let me, let me undo throw this all in of the problems don't, they just caused. Don't ever give that contractor a, a substantial down payment. Yeah, that's that's a warning sign. That's a red I, flag. I made that mistake, and I and I made it recently too. And I'm like, why did I do that? That's a red flag. You may never see that guy again. Yeah. Yeah. You would think that in the grand world of contractors, that there would be a lot of mature, grown-up adults. You would be wrong. Um, I mean, there are some that are out there, and those guys. There's another duality. The good guys are so busy, they're hard to get. The guys that you can get tomorrow are horrible. So you, you need to have yeah. a, a kind of a spectrum of possibilities so you can say to somebody three weeks out, hey, look, what are you doing in three weeks? I, I could use you on this job. Because um, if you find yourself trying to get somebody within a couple of days, oh, you're going to be dealing with some really interesting characters. Yeah, be fair to these guys. Give them, give them that leeway. Give them a month or two. Sometimes the yeah. good ones are a month or two out. And but if that's you, a good sign. That really yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Now, do you guys ever keep somebody, and this is, again, is, is, is a very naive question, but do you guys ever have somebody on hand that you know that, you know what, they might not be the best, but I know if I'm in a pinch where I need somebody almost tomorrow or, or in two days, you always have somebody in the bullpen, so to speak, that you can call in, in the time of need? I do. I, I actually like to rent to general maintenance men types. Um, okay. And I've got several of those where I call them and say, hey, look, I need some drywall patched, or I need one window replaced. It's so you, not a, so, so you go to a, a service, like a handyman service. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 no. I, I actually take them in as tenants. Oh, I consider I understand. that a bonus on the tenant application okay. if you do something in that field. Yeah. <coughs> Where I can say, hey, look, you know, I look, I need one window replaced like mm-hmm. now. Yeah. You know, a yeah. real a real general contractor does not want to hear me for one window. Yeah. They're not going to bother with that deal. Um, so that's a, it's a whole other subset of the contract. Yeah, the that's, is the I, I agree with manner. that, and I disagree in, in just in one respect is uh, when you, in my experience, hey, I'm going to cut the grass for you, right? The tenant said, and then they don't they don't cut their grass. Yeah. Know? Or say, oh, I'm going to maintain and clean the hallways. They don't maintain and clean the hallways. That's that's where the so, parenting part comes in. You yeah. have to articulate that in the contract, yeah. and you have to enforce it. It's where I'll, that's true across all property management is a lot of newbies get themselves in trouble because somebody doesn't do what they've agreed to do and they let it slide. Once you start the let it slide program, oh God, it ends in chaos. Again, ask me how I know. Yeah, never rent to somebody and that uh, like an apartment that needs rehab and say, you know what, 
I'll rehab it. Just holy cow. First of all, they may never rehab it, and you cut their rent. Second of all, when they rehab it, it might be done so poorly that it's going to cost you double to have it actually done correctly. So The, the only way you can get away with that is you have to have a contract and articulate quality and type of repairs sure. and a time, time hack that if they don't meet it, they get kicked right out. And then again, that rolls back around to how much time do you have to babysit. Yeah. Because I'm really tired of babysitting. So. Plus, I'm sure on that end, too, quality is in some... Granted, I mean, this should be this shouldn't be opinion, but it could be opinion based, and technically, it it could get very mu- very muddy, I guess, right? Because it is if you have an art, you have to articulate what you want. A lot, a lot of the the investor contractor disputes are because you're thinking about a different project. You know, I want you to do X. You're thinking you want me to do Y, because we haven't talked it out. We haven't articulated it well enough to I- say that I want this grade. And I want this type of work yeah. done. I can tell you that's 99% of the problem with contractors that I have is my fault. Agreed. Because I don't, if I spend, if I would spend two or three hours on a, let's say a $50,000 rehab, if I would spend two or three hours on a piece of paper and articulating, I love that word by the way, that's why I, he comes in, he's articulating in Spectrum. Did you hear Spectrum before? Yes. I haven't used Spectrum in a while. But, um, I'm not quite sure I know what that means, but that's articulates awesome. Um, or like one with that. So if you're detailed on each room, like be detailed, living room, go literally wall by wall, switch by switch, light fixture by what kind of light fixture do you want? Replace light fixture. Do you want a thousand dollar light fixture or do you want the cheapest one bulb light fixture? And then your job, because I've been at job sites where I've, I've had to go five, ten times, and I should have never had to go on more than three. Once to, to look at it, one time to just review what's going on, maybe midway, and once to do a final punch list instead of going ten times. You think I would learn that? I'm just telling you, learn, do as I say, not as I do. Learn be, from the pain of my life. Be detailed on for those contractors so they know. It, it's going to make your life simpler. You're going to make more money. And that's that's the early end of evaluating a contractor. If his scope of work is three lines scribbled on the back oh, of a yeah. napkin, bad, bad, you're bad. done talking. <laughs> um, if his scope of work is a couple of pages, then you can go through and flush out the details of that scope of work and yeah. articulate. You know, look, I want this type of wood, and I want this grade of this, and you know, I want this brand name of faucets, I want this. Bes- you know, this specific part number over here, mm-hmm. you know, when you start getting these guys, they'll tell you what SKU numbers are. Mm-hmm. Now you've got a guy that you can actually <laughs> deal with. You know, I want this actual SKU for this this lighting fixture instead of the thing you just bought at a you know, dollar store and repainted. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can absolutely be, I don't think you can be too detailed. Not, for, not for in that situation, no. Yeah. And once you guys get on the same page, you, you work with someone for years, then... The, you don't have to be as detailed, although you should. It, it almost like they'll finish your sentences for you. Hey, I want this. Oh yeah, I know what I know what light fixture you want there. We yeah, done enough. Of you do, after you develop that yeah. relationship and you've done enough of yep. those, you look at. I want this kind of trim. You know, I want this kind of stone in front of this fireplace. I wish I could treat. I just train myself to do that because that upfront time and pain of putting it on paper and being detailed pays off in the long run. Because now I can call that same guy and say, Hey, remember that house on ABC Street? Pretty much the same thing on XYZ Street. Go for it. Well, it, it's difficult because 
the contractor has already been put through the ringer by all sorts of fools. Everything from homeowners with crazy expectations to real estate investors who want them to do lots of things for nothing. Right. So when you start trying to explain that, they really aren't all that interested in making the time to talk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it's not something you just jump into right out of the gate. It's something you have to develop with somebody. And I have to basically train our owners. We manage property, right? Mace Property Management, we manage 650 units at this point. I have to train all of my homeowners because here's what we get from them. I need an estimate. Okay, we're going to get you an estimate. But understand, our contractor's probably going to charge you for the estimate. Why is that? I get free estimates all the time. Yeah, but how many contractors do you need to go through before you can get that job done and you know it's going to get done right? Probably... 10. We go through one. We'll get you the estimate. He's going to charge you $100 for the estimate. Then you can go ahead and not get your own estimate. Why would why do I do that? Why would you do that, Alex? Why do I have to pay for an estimate? Because if I send my contractors out to 10 different jobs for my owners, and he gets none of them, and he's a good contractor, I'm never going to get him back again. So you either pay me now or you pay me later. So pay these guys what they're worth but stay within your budget. Be realistic on your expectations. So we talked about contractors, I think, enough at this point because we could go on for a while. I, I do want to yep. we're back one little bit, but that's one of the real benefits to good property management. Is good property management will keep you out of the ringer with contractors because they already have their team. They already know what they have. So you're leveraging your property manager's team so you don't even have to go assemble your own. Right. It makes life a whole lot easier. Yeah. And you're going to pay for somebody's time. Paying for somebody who has a proven track record is a whole lot better than the crapshoot that you'll get into just randomly picking out of the phone book. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's uh, kind of go over what we've discussed so far. Team building. This whole session is about team building. Super, super, super important. I love Josh's story about the the girl who just getting started in real estate. Went to Josh and said, "Hey, I think this is a good. I think this is a deal." And Josh says, "Yeah, it's a deal. You're going to make two hundred thousand, probably two hundred thousand more than I'm going to make this month." But by knowing Josh and talking to her friend and letting that friend know that they're in real estate, boom. Team building and marketing, super, super critical. So we talked about uh, your attorneys, your CPAs, your real estate agents, your real estate agents, which includes property managers. And we talked about contractors. We talked about locksmiths. Like contractors encompasses, I think, all the blue collar kind of guys. But who else, who else am I missing here, Josh? I know you're probably going to come up with 10 more, but we got a, we got probably 15 more minutes here. I mean, who else are we missing that needs to be on? You already got your financial planner, correct? Our team. Financial planner is a good one. Whoa, you came up with a, actually, you came up with some substance for this podcast. Every, every once in a while. That's a value. Good count. for you. Your stock just went way up in my eyes. <laughs> so a financial planner, that's when you start making those big bucks. It's not how much you make, it's how much you can keep. So you want to have Roth IRAs and self-directed IRAs and this and that, and life insurance and overseas bank accounts and drug lords and all that stuff. I'm all sure that I'm sure you can learn something from everybody. But uh, but honestly, uh, a good per- a person who knows how to shelter money is just as important as someone who knows how to tell you how to make the money. And I haven't even gotten there yet. I do need a good financial planner at some point, but um, super critical. Good point. Thank you, sir. Like I said, your stock just went up. Thank you, sir. How about you, Josh? you have any others you want to add? I, I tend to look at bird dogs, one of my favorite categories of people. Um, and I do, I do bird dogging a little different than normal people. 
because I do a lot of creative finance deals, I, I, I eternally have some house that's either for sale very cheaply as a cash deal or I'll have something that comes with owner financing terms. And for every one of those houses, I've got one person who will actually be my buyer. And a herd of other people who came in somewhere between second and 30th place. I take my herd and I say, listen, this one wasn't meant to be yours, obviously, but I'm pretty good at negotiating these, so if you find a house that you like, bring it to me and I'll give you first dibs to buy it. So I send them crawling all over town looking for deals for me. Mm-hmm. Because they came in second through thirtieth, trying to buy the first house, I know that they want to buy a house. Hmm. If okay. they can find a house, and I can negotiate it, I've already got a sale in place. And they will again generate a whole other herd of people who didn't quite get that deal. Some great ideas. Um, these, these are little nuggets that, I mean, just one nugget from this podcast can literally make you hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And you don't have to do everything we're talking about. You don't have to have every tool in your tool belt, but master how to use that hammer. Master how to use that that saw. You know, become a master at whatever you want to focus on. You don't have to learn how to use every tool belt. You hire other people that can run the hammer, run the saw, and maybe you're running the lathe, whatever the case may be. And albeit rare, but think about if you take one little nugget out of this. I mean, one one little hey, I do real estate. Just, just uh, made some young lady two hundred thousand dollars richer. Here's my business card. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, I mean, just, just something that simplistic, guys. So, I mean, and with all the information we've given you, you know, here today, I mean, you should be able to make a little bit of money out of it. Take something. It kind of brings back one of my my key things in life is, in real estate, we get paid for what we know. The more of a real estate education you have, the more money you can make. And and our education is very practical. It doesn't matter if you have an a PhD from Harvard or if you're an eighth grade dropout, you can make money doing what we do. But you have to learn the techniques that we use. Um, One of my great idols is Dr. Albert Lowry. Al Lowry taught his first real estate course in 1969 when he first became a millionaire. That man is still alive and kicking and he will tell you at any moment you choose to ask that he is still learning. There is that much to know in our field. You, let me ask you guys a question too uh, from um, somebody on the outside looking in. Um, I heard and and I an athlete slash actor, whatever you want to call him, but I once heard John Cena say, "You are the sum of the five people closest to you." So in in business, in a way, I mean, you are the sum of the five closest people to you in business. So the more successful you want to be, surround yourself with successful people. I mean, there's I, I think there was a lot to that statement that you know when I heard that a couple years ago, I, I, I really grabbed it. And was like, wait, this is. There's a lot of substance in this. You know? you're, you're a product of your environment. Yes, sir. That, that's absolutely true. I, I've heard that articulated yeah. is your income will be the average of those five people you spend the most time with. I like that. Um, okay. And I've, I've heard it. Yeah, so when Josh does that $50 million deal, you know, I'm going to have to hang out with other people. We're going to be hung, hanging out all together. <laughs> I'll be the guy outside, like, hey, guys, hey. let me in. Hey, buddy. But it's, yeah, I really, you know, growing up as a kid, I was poor. Nobody, I. I associated with had any concept of how to make money doing anything. Now my social circle is quite a bit different, but there are just exponential levels above me into the Trump world where, you know, billionaires understand things that I haven't conceived of yet. So if I could spend my time hanging out with billionaires and multimillionaires and such, my learning curve will accelerate quite a bit because they'll talk about the things they're doing. 
it's a very important thing to understand in the grand world of networking is you want to network with people who can teach you things. Yeah, hang around people that are smarter than you. If you're the smartest guy in the room, leave. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, and that's very rare for me. <laughs> that's a good piece of advice, though, because too often, more often than not in today's society, we look for those that are that are agreeable. We look for people that are going to agree with our, our opinions, our emotions, our, and we kind of, you know, instead, and why do we do that? Because we don't like, as humans, we don't like to hear that we're wrong. Because it's easy. And it's easy. Yeah. And it's easy. It's um, easy. But along with the challenge and the fun, and this is, this is I'm, I'm so glad that you're here today, that is something that I tie into that. I mean, don't be, don't be afraid to be the dumbest guy in the room. Every time Be I, excited when you're the dumbest guy in the room. I come yes. in every week and learn a lot, and it's starting to retain a little bit. That's, every once in a while, I'll surprise you. But guys, you know, guys and gals, if you're listening out there, surround yourself with successful people. Success will follow. And, and conversely, if you're sitting in a room with four broke guys, don't ask them for advice. <laughs> yeah, if they knew true. anything, they wouldn't be broke guys. Yeah, don't ask your mailman for real estate advice, but you can surely ask him for real estate leads. Yeah. And, and now we know why I just tell jokes when we do these broadcasts, and I don't do anything informed. <laughs> so I want you, I want y'all to make sure because Josh was kind enough to come here. Um, give us the Rio website again. It is Pittsburgh. P i t t s b u r g h. Followed by R E I A dot com. And just give us a, a one minute commercial on what are the advantages, why should someone join RIA, go to your website, and come to your meetings? Because I've been to many of them and they're a wealth of knowledge, but I want to hear it from you. I, I say come come to the website, sign up for the newsletter, it's free. It's very education based, and it will give you an idea of some of the things you can learn with us. We subscribe to the drug dealer theory. We want you to have a free sample, and we expect that you become addicted. Nice. That's, that's the entire business model. Yeah, <laughs> that's brilliant. So you can learn from all aspects of life. We did, we talked about that. Whether it's a drug dealer, I mean, all as demented as that is coming from Josh's mouth, but you can learn something from everybody. So They've got a marketing plan. Absolutely. I just modeled it. So, and, and if you could go to, um, I have an Alex Deacon Meetup. If you Google Alex Deacon Meetup, believe me, it's only going to be one uh, link that shows up join and you can get access to our free emails you can come to our free investor workshops we have once a month um, make sure you're learning based you have to be a learning based person in order to succeed once you think you know it all then you're you're on a uh, nosedive to failure um, DHREA that's Deacon Hoover Real Estate Advisors that's a company that Ian Hoover and I started we're uh, investor-friendly real estate company. We also deal with the average mom and pop wanting to sell or buy a home. And we, uh, I'm also the owner of Mace Property Management. We manage uh, hundreds of properties in the Pittsburgh area. We're happy to help. And I'm going to give this up to Adam, and he can conclude this session. But it was a pleasure. And Josh, thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. Um, listen, everyone at home, too, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at Deacon Hoover. Uh, like us on Facebook. Look for all of our broadcasts on all your favorite podcasting streams, whether it's iTunes, uh, Google Play, Podomatic, Spreaker. Uh, we're all over the place that way. Um, go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. Uh, look for our blog that is updating daily uh, on dhrea.com. And Josh, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. Having it was me. an honor. It was great having you in here. As always, the deacon, you're, you, you're, you're usually the man. Today, he's the man. 
Yeah, help. I don't know if you knew this. Last was it two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. We had Sly Stallone come in. Sly was in here real quick. Sly Stallone awesome. was in. Here. Yeah. Popped in for for a minute. Unbelievable. What kind amazing. of people you'll get on my show? Love that. It's yeah. Amazing. Um, but guys, everyone at home, thank you so much. I we thoroughly hope you enjoyed this hour and a half long uh, t- tutorial here. Um, take something from this. Take something from it and make some money. Be successful. Um, listen to this three, four, five times. Take notes, please, guys. So, from everyone here at Deacon Hoover Real Estate Advisors, for Alex, for Josh, for myself, we thank you guys so much, and we will see you next time.